Section 13 of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The World's Story, Volume 9. England. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 13. Stories of King Arthur and His Court. Sixth Century. The legends of King Arthur and his court probably have this basis in fact, that in the 5th or 6th century there arose a brave British chieftain or general who defeated the Teutonic invaders in a number of pitched battles, was betrayed by his wife, and met his death in conflict with a near kinsman. The memory of this chieftain was kept alive by the Britons in their mountain fastnesses of Wales, and in the course of centuries spread to the continent where the courtly poets of France and Germany remolded the legends, making of the rude warrior chief an ideal knight of the Middle Ages, chivalrous, generous, and without fear. They reflect, therefore, the life and ideals of the twelfth and thirteenth centuries, rather than of the time in which King Arthur is supposed to have lived. The Editor King Arthur Receives the Round Table by Thomas Mallory In the beginning of Arthur, after he was chosen king by adventure and by grace, most of the barons knew not that he was Uther Pendragon's son, until Merlin made it openly known. Then many kings and lords made great war against him for that cause. But Arthur overcame them all. For the most part of the days of his life he was ruled much by the counsel of Merlin. So it befell that King Arthur said unto Merlin, My barons will let me have no rest until I take a wife, and I will take none but by thy counsel and by thy advice. It is well, said Merlin, that you take a wife, for a man of your attainments and nobility should not be without a wife. Now is there any that you love more than another? Yea, said King Arthur. I love Guinevere, daughter of King Leodegrance of the land of Cameliard. This damsel is the most valiant and the fairest lady that I know living, or that ever I could find. Sir, said Merlin, as for her beauty and fairness, she is one of the fairest on earth. But if you did not love her so well as you do, I should find you a damsel of beauty and of goodness that should like you and please you. But when a man's heart is set, he is loath to change. That is truth, said King Arthur. Then Merlin sent forth unto King Leodegrance of Cameliard, and told him of the desire of King Arthur to have Guinevere for his wife. That is to me, said King Leodegrance, the best tidings that I ever heard, that so worthy a king of prowess and noblesse will wed my daughter. And as far as my lands, I would give him all if I thought it would please him. But he hath lands enough, and needeth none. But I shall send him a gift which shall please him much more, for I shall give him the round table, which his father Uther Pendragon gave me. When it is full complete, there are one hundred and fifty knights. An hundred good knights I have myself, but I lack fifty, for so many have been slain in my days. And so Leodegrance delivered his daughter Guinevere unto Merlin, and the round table with the hundred knights. And they rode freshly with great royalty, till they came nigh unto London. When King Arthur heard of the coming of Guinevere and the hundred knights with the round table, he made great joy, and said openly, This fair lady is passing welcome unto me, for I have loved her long, and therefore there is nothing so much to my liking." and these knights with the round table please me more than great riches. And in all haste the king prepared for the marriage and the coronation 
in the most honorable fashion that could be devised. Now Merlin, said King Arthur, go thou and find me in all this land fifty knights which are of most prowess and worship. Within a short time, Merlin had found knights to fill twenty and eight sieges, but no more he could find. Then the Bishop of Canterbury was fetched, and he blessed the sieges with great royalty and devotion, and there sat the eight and twenty knights. And when this was done, Merlin said, Fair sirs, you must all arise and come to King Arthur to do him homage, for he will then have the better will to maintain you. And so they arose and did their homage. And when they were gone, Merlin found in every siege letters of gold that told the knight's name that had sat therein. But two sieges were void. What is the cause, said King Arthur, that there be two places void in the sieges? Sir, said Merlin, there shall no man sit in those places but him that shall be of most worship. But in the siege perilous, there shall no man sit but one, and if there be any other so hardy as to sit there, he shall be destroyed. And therewith Merlin took King Pellinore by the hand, and put him in the place next the two sieges and the siege perilous. And he said before them all, This is your place, for you are most worthy to sit therein of all who are here. Thereat Sir Gawain was passing envious, and said to Geharis his brother, Yonder knight is put to great worship, and this grieveth me sore, for he slew our father King Lot. Therefore I will slay him. You shall not do it, said Geharis, at this time, for I now am but a squire, but when I am made knight, I will be avenged on him. Therefore, brother, it is best that you suffer till another time, that we may have him out of the court, lest we should trouble this high feast. I will do as you say, said Gawain. There the king established all his knights, and those that had no lands he made rich in lands. And he charged them never to do outrage or murder, and always to flee treason. Also, by no means to be cruel, but to give mercy unto him that asked it, upon pain of forfeiture of their worship and lordship of King Arthur forevermore. And always to give succor unto ladies, damsels, and gentlewomen, upon pain of death. Also that no man make battle in a wrongful quarrel, either for any law or this world's goods. Unto this oath were all the knights of the round table sworn, both old and young, and every year were they sworn anew at the Feast of Pentecost. And then when all this was done, the high feast was made ready, and King Arthur was wedded at Camelot unto Dame Guinevere in the church of St. Stephen's with much solemnity. Galahad and the Quest of the Sangreal by Thomas Mallory Footnote Sangreal, or Holy Grail, that is, Holy Cup, the cup from which Jesus Christ is supposed to have drunk at the Last Supper, and in which Joseph of Arimathea is said to have caught the blood that fell from Jesus' side when he was on the cross. End of footnote Part 1 at the vigil of Pentecost, when all the fellowship of the round table were come again unto Camelot, and the tables were set ready to the meat, there entered into the hall a fair gentlewoman on horseback. She had ridden fast, for her horse was all besweated. There she alighted, and came before the king and saluted him. Then she straightway went unto Lancelot, and said, Sir Lancelot, I salute you, and require you to come with me into a forest nearby. And though Sir Lancelot wist not why he should go with that lady, he bade his squire saddle his horse and bring his arms, and then departed he with the lady. 
and they rode until they came into a forest, where they saw an abbey of nuns. And they entered, and a fair company of nuns came and led Sir Lancelot into the abbess's chamber and unarmed him. And presently therein came twelve nuns that brought with them Galahad, a youth so fair and so well made, that in all the world men might scarcely find his match, and all those ladies wept. Sir, said they all, we bring you here this child whom we have nourished, and we pray you to make him a knight, for of a more worthy man's hand may he not receive the order of knighthood. And Sir Launcelot beheld the young squire, and saw him seemly and pure as a dove, and he thought he had never seen so fair a man. Then said Sir Launcelot, Cometh this desire of himself? He and all they said, Yea. Then shall he, said Sir Launcelot, receive the high order of knighthood to-morrow at the celebration of the high feast. And on the morrow at dawn he made him knight, and said, God make you a good man, for beauty faileth you not. Part 2 Now, fair sir, said Sir Launcelot, will ye come with me unto the court of King Arthur? Nay, answered Galahad, I will not go with you at this time. Then Launcelot departed from the abbey, and so he came unto Camelot in the forenoon on Whitsunday. And when the king and all the knights were come unto the round table, the barons espied in the sieges all about, written with golden letters, the names of those knights to whom the sieges appertained. And thus they went, until they came to the siege perilous, where they found letters which said, Four hundred and fifty-four winters after our Lord Jesus Christ ought this siege to be fulfilled. Then all they said, This is a marvelous thing. And Sir Launcelot said, It seemeth to me this siege ought to be fulfilled this same day. For this is the feast of Pentecost, after the four hundred and fifty-fourth year. And if it would please all parties, I would rather that none of these letters were seen this day, till he is come that ought to achieve this adventure. Then ordained they that a cloth of silk be brought to cover these letters in the siege perilous. Then the king bade them hasten unto dinner. But at that time in came a squire, and said unto the king, Sir, I bring you marvellous tidings. There is beneath here at the river a great stone floating above the water, and therein I saw sticking a sword. The king said, I will see that marvel. So all the knights went with him to the river, and there they found a stone floating, and therein stuck a fair sword, and in the pommel thereof were precious stones skillfully set in letters of gold. Then the barons read the letters, which said, Never shall man take me hence, except him by whose side I ought to hang, and he shall be the best knight in the world. When the king had seen the letters, he said unto Sir Launcelot, Fair sir, this sword ought to be yours, for I am sure you are the best knight in the world. Then Sir Launcelot answered very soberly, Truly, sir, it is not my sword. Also, sir, wit ye well I have not the hardihood to set my hand to it, for it belongs not at my side. Also, he who assayeth to take the sword and faileth, shall receive such a wound by that sword, that he shall not be whole long afterward. And I tell you, that this same day shall the adventures of the Sangreal begin. Then King Arthur bade Sir Gawain assay to take the sword. And though Sir Gawain was loath to do so, yet because King Arthur commanded him, he took the sword by the handles, but he could not move it. Then there were no more that durst be so hardy as to set their hands thereto. So then Sir Kay, the steward, 
bade King Arthur and all the knights go in to dinner, and every knight knew his own place and set him therein. And when all the sieges were fulfilled, save only the siege perilous, anon there befell a marvellous adventure. All the doors and windows of the palace shut by themselves, yet the hall was not greatly darkened, and thereupon they were all astonished. Then an old man came in, clothed all in white, and there was no knight new whence he came. And with him he brought a young knight in red arms, without sword or shield, save a scabbard hanging by his side. And these words the old man said unto Arthur, Peace be with you, sir. I bring here a young knight who is of king's lineage and of the kindred of Joseph of Arimathea, whereby the marvels of this court and of strange realms shall be fully accomplished. Then the old man made the young man unarm himself, and anon he led him to the siege perilous, beside which sat Sir Lancelot. And the good man lifted up the cloth and found their letters which said thus, This is the siege of Galahad, the high prince. Sir, said the old knight, Wot you well, that place is yours. Then Galahad sat down in that place, and he said to the old man, Sir, you may go your way, for you have done all that which you were commanded to do. So the good man departed. Then all the knights of the round table marveled greatly, that Sir Galahad dare sit there in that siege perilous, when he was so tender of age. And they said, This is he by whom the Sangreal shall be achieved, for never before sat one in that siege, but that harm came to him. Then came King Arthur unto Galahad, and said, Sir, you are welcome, for you shall move many good knights unto the quest of the Sangreal. Then the king took him by the hand, and went down from the palace to show him the adventures of the stone. Sir, said the king unto Galahad, here is a great marvel as ever I saw, for right good knights have essayed and failed. Sir, said Galahad, that is no marvel, for this adventure is not theirs but mine. For the surety that I should achieve this sword, I brought none with me, for here by my side hangeth the scabbard. And anon he laid his hand upon the sword, and lightly drew it out of the stone, and put it in the sheath. Sir, said the king, a shield God shall send you. Now, said Galahad, have I that sword that sometime was Balin's, and he was a passing good man of his hands. And with this sword he slew his brother Balan, and that was great pity, for he was a good knight, and either slew other. And with this sword Balin smote my grandfather, King Pelles, a dolorous stroke of which he is not yet whole, nor shall be till I heal him. Then the king espied a lady riding on a white palfrey toward them. And she saluted the king and queen, and said, Sir king, Nacian the hermit sendeth thee word that to thee shall befall the greatest worship that ever befell king in Britain. And I say you wherefore, for this day the Sangreal shall appear in thy house and feed thee and all thy fellowship of the round table. So she departed, and went the same way that she came. Now, said the king, I am sure shall all ye of the round table depart on this quest of the Sangreal, and never shall I see you again whole together. Therefore I will see you all together in the meadow of Camelot, to joust, that after your death men may tell how such good knights were holy together such a day. So at the king's request they accorded all, and took on their harness and went to the jousting, and the queen was in a tower with all her ladies to behold that tournament.'
Now all this moving of the king was for this intent, that he might see Galahad proved. For the king deemed he should not lightly come again unto the court after his departing. So Galahad put upon him his helm, but shield would he take none for no prayer of the king. Then Galahad dressed him in the midst of the meadow, and began to break spears marvelously, so that all men wondered, for he there surmounted all other knights, and within a while he had defouled many good knights of the round table, save twain, that were Sir Lancelot and Sir Percival. Part 3 And then the king and all his estates went home unto Camelot, and so went to Evensong in the great minster, and so after that to supper. Then anon they heard such cracking and crying of thunder that they thought the place would fall apart. In the midst of this blast entered a sunbeam, clearer by seven times than ever they saw day, and the grace of the Holy Ghost shone upon them all, and all those knights appeared fairer than ever they had before. And for a great while no knight could speak a word, and they looked at each other as though they were dumb. Then there entered into the hall the Holy Grail, covered with white samite, but none could see it, nor who bore it. And then was all the hall filled with good odors, and every knight had such meats and drinks as he best loved in this world. And when the Holy Grail had been borne through the hall, it departed so suddenly that they wist not what became of it. Then had they all breath to speak, and the king yielded thanks to God for his good grace that he had sent them. Now, said Sir Gawain, we have been served this day with what meats and drinks we liked best, but one thing disappointed us. We could not see the Holy Grail, it was so carefully covered. Wherefore I will make here my vow that tomorrow I shall begin the quest of the Sangreal, that I shall seek a twelve-month and a day, or more if need be, and never shall I return again unto the court till I have seen it more openly than it hath been seen here, and if I may not succeed, I shall return again, knowing that it is not the will of our Lord that I see it. When those of the round table heard Sir Gawain say this, they arose, for the most part, and made such vows as he had made. Anon, as King Arthur heard this, he became very sad, for he wist well that they might not gainsay their vows. Alas, said King Arthur to Sir Gawain, ye have bereft me of the fairest fellowship and the truest of knighthood, that were ever seen together in any realm of the world. For when they depart hence, I am sure they shall never all meet more in this world, for many shall die in the quest. I have loved them as well as my life, wherefore it grieves me right sore, the departing of this fellowship. And therewith the tears fell in his eyes. Part 4 When the queen, ladies, and gentlewomen wist these tidings, they had such sorrow and heaviness of heart that no tongue might tell it, for those knights had held those ladies in honor and love. And many of these ladies that loved knights would have gone with their lovers, had not an old knight come among them in religious clothing, and he spake to all, and said, Fair lords, who have sworn in the quest of the Sangreal, thus sendeth Nacian the hermit word to you, that none lead lady nor gentlewoman with him in this quest. For I warn you plain, he that is not clean of his sins shall not see the mysteries of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for this cause they left those ladies and gentlewomen. And as soon as it was day, the king arose, for he had no rest all that night for sorrow. And he and the queen and all the fellowship of the round table 
went unto the minster to hear their service. Then after the service was done, the king would wit how many had undertaken the quest of the Holy Grail. Then they found by tale an hundred and fifty, and all were knights of the round table. And then they put on their helms and departed, and there was weeping and great sorrow. THE PASSING OF ARTHUR by Alfred Lord Tennyson At length King Arthur was sorely wounded in battle, and he knew that the time had come for him to die. "'Cast my sword Excalibur into the water of the lake,' he bade Sir Bedivere, his companion, "'and come again and tell me what you have seen.' And when Sir Bedivere had thrown the sword, there rose from the water an arm, clad with white samite. The hand took the sword, and both sword and arm vanished beneath the waters. Then came close to the shore a barge, and in it was King Arthur's sister, with two other queens and many fair ladies in waiting. The Editor Then murmured Arthur, Place me in the barge. So to the barge they came. There those three queens put forth their hands and took the king and wept. But she that rose the tallest of them all and fairest laid his head upon her lap and loosed the shattered cask, and chafed his hands, and called him by his name, complaining loud, and dropping bitter tears against a brow, striped with dark blood, for all his face was white, and colorless, and like the withered moon, smote by the fresh beam of the springing east, and all his greaves and quisses dashed with drops of onset, and the light and lustrous curls, that made his forehead like a rising sun, high from the dais throne, were parched with dust, or clotted into points and hanging loose, mixed with the nightly growth that fringed his lips. So like a shattered column lay the king, not like that Arthur who, with lance and rest, from spur to plume a star of tournament, shot through the lists at Camelot and charged before the eyes of ladies and of kings. Then loudly cried the bold Sir Bedivere, Ah, my lord Arthur, whither shall I go? Where shall I hide my forehead and my eyes? For now I see the true old times are dead, when every morning brought a noble chance, and every chance brought out a noble night. Such times have been not since the light that led the holy elders with the gift of myrrh. But now the whole round table is dissolved, which was an image of the mighty world, and I, the last, go forth companionless, and the days darken round me, and the years... Among new men, strange faces, other minds. And slowly answered Arthur from the barge, The old order changeth, yielding place to new, And God fulfills himself in many ways, Lest one good custom should corrupt the world. Comfort thyself, what comfort is in me? I have lived my life, and that which I have done, May he within himself make pure, but thou... If thou shouldst never see my face again, pray for my soul. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep or goats that nourish a blind life within the brain? If knowing God, they lift not hands of prayer, both for themselves and those who call them friend. For so the whole round earth is every way bound by gold chains about the feet of God. But now farewell. I am going a long way with these thou seest.
if indeed I go, for all my mind is clouded with a doubt, to the island valley of Avalion, where falls not hail or rain or any snow, nor ever wind blows loudly, but it lies deep-meadowed, happy, fair with orchard lawns, and bowery hollows crowned with summer sea, where I will heal me of my grievous wound. So said he, and the barge with oar and sail moved from the brink, like some full-breasted swan, that fluting a wild carol ere her death, ruffles her pure cold plume, and takes the flood with swarthy webs. Long stood Sir Bedivere, revolving many memories, till the hull looked one black dot against the verge of dawn, and on the mere the wailing died away. But when that moan had passed forevermore, the stillness of the dead world's winter dawn amazed him, and he groaned, The king is gone. And therewithal came on him the weird rhyme, From the great deep to the great deep he goes. Whereat he slowly turned and slowly clomb, the last hard footstep of that iron crag. Thence marked the black hull moving yet, and cried, He passes to be king among the dead, and after healing of his grievous wound, he comes again, but if he come no more, O oh me, be yon dark queens in yon black boat, who shrieked and wailed, the three whereat we gazed on that high day, when clothed with living light they stood before his throne in silence, Friends of Arthur, who should help him at his need? Then from the dawn it seemed there came but faint, As from beyond the limit of the world, Like the last echo born of a great cry, Sounds as if some fair city were one voice, Around a king returning from his wars. Thereat once more he moved about and clomb, Even to the highest he could climb, And saw, straining his eyes beneath an arch of hand, or thought he saw, the speck that bare the king, down that long water opening on the deep, somewhere far off, pass on and on and go, from less to less, and vanish into light. And the new sun rose, bringing the new year. End of section 13